Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. You may have noticed that there have been more episodes than usual this month. Um, I don't know, I've just been feeling really inspired and wanting to get behind the microphone a lot more. Um... Today is actually a very special bonus episode. So as you might remember, we did a bonus episode uh, last year for Yule. Um, And now today is the bonus episode for Midsommar. Uh, So I asked my friend and friend of the pod, Minta Carlson, to come back and talk about some Swedish uh, folk practices around Midsommar. And so we talk a lot. It's a very meandering conversation. You can definitely tell that we, you know, know one another. So it's, um, I think, a pretty interesting conversation. We do get into talking a little bit about, um, you know, magical theory and, you know, folk practices. We even ramble into astrology for a little bit. Um, But I think it's going to be a very good conversation. But before we get into the episode, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the course that I have coming up via Catland Books called Radical Runes. So this is a six-week course on learning the runes from an inclusive, queer, uh, anti-racist perspective. And I think that you'll find a lot of interesting themes here. The course is open to everyone of all levels. And I think that it's going to be a really great time. So it is, again, a six-week course being offered via Catland Books. I have a link in the show notes for you to register if you would like. And speaking of the show notes, uh, there will also be links to Needfire Wellness and Apothecary, which is Minta's shop, as well as a link to the Midsommar Vatan kits that Minta has put together. I am really looking forward to getting mine, and I think it's going to be a great time uh, all around. All right, so without further ado, here is my conversation with Minta. Hello, Minta. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you on today because um, this is actually a very special bonus episode where we will be talking about Midsummer. Hooray. Awesome. Yeah. So um, if you want to just, you know, give a really quick intro of yourself, your work, Needfire, all of that, um, in case listeners haven't heard you on previous podcast episodes. Awesome. Yeah, um, I'm Minta Carlson. Uh, I am a troll dome practitioner, troll cunning, based in Portland, Maine. And I studied with Johannes Gordbeck, who also is a co-creator, co-founder of my um, troll dome goods company, Hexon. 
Uh, I run Needfire Apothecary, which is both a brick and mortar and an online store based out of Portland, Maine. Uh, and yeah, I teach a lot of classes. I think probably by the time this episode's out, there'll be a bunch more classes on my site. Uh, some of them, maybe even Siri will be a part of. Um, and I don't know what else I would say about myself. I do professional spell work. Um, it's hard to know what to say about yourself. Yeah, it's kind of putting on the spot, but, um, <laughs> yes, I personally, I adore your Hexen products so much. And, um, at this point, listeners may have heard that I'm opening an apothecary as well. Um, so I will definitely be stocking your Hexen products. Yay. As well as many of the candles that you make. Yes. I, I, I am a candle maker. I love making candles. Yes. So we're here to talk about Midsummer. Um, last year, uh, you and I worked together um, in a lot of ways around Yule Fest, which was mm-hmm. a huge festival that Needfire hosted. It was fantastic. I got to sit in on a lot of classes um, and it was great. And now we are six months ahead at Midsummer. So um let's just start there. Like what is Midsummer in, you know, your own practice? And it's obviously a huge uh, folk festival um, throughout Scandinavia and even into, you know, Germany as well. Um, But yeah, how, what is it? How are you celebrating? Yeah. So I think first of all, it's really important to differentiate between Midsummer and Midsummer because they're completely different dates half the time. Um, one of them being the actual summer solstice, uh, which is very technical. Uh, and I think a lot of people celebrate that midsummer as it's celebrated in Sweden, at least. And I think the rest of Scandinavia, um, when you say midsummer, you're really referring to midsummer Eve. Uh, most people who celebrate the day midsummer are talking about, it's more often like referred to as St. John's day. Um, and that's the day that has like the maypole, all of the events and the parties and the dancing. But in terms of magical things, you really are thinking like if you're thinking of like Swedish magic, you're thinking of Midsummer Eve or Midsummer uh, Afton, which is the, you know, the day before uh, Midsummer itself. So and that always falls on a Friday between the 19th and the the 25th of June. So it has to be a Friday. Um, And then Midsummer Day is, or St. John's Day is always a Saturday. Uh, So for me, um, most people who know me know I'm not like a particularly heavily, well, I'm, I don't, I wouldn't even necessarily call myself a heathen because although I do definitely work with um, different animistic spirit intersect with um, Norse heathenry or Nordic heathenry. Um, I am more into the postmodern animistic look at um, spirits of the land, spirits of the dead, uh, etc. And so in terms of my practice, that's always very focused on 
very practical things. It, it tends not to look like a very spiritual practice from the outside. It's very practical, which is normal for folk magic. So um, actually, before we got on to talk, I was messaging my employee being like, let's plan to go to this really great farm. They have wildflower picking uh, and they would have picked all of their herbs that morning so that we can you know, collect our midsummer flowers and midsummer greens because you really have to do it on that Friday. Uh, that's really the day. And there's a few different ways you can use them, but yeah. Yeah, so you'll definitely be picking midsummer greens um, and midsummer herbs. Um, and I know that through Needfire, you are also making the midsummer uh, Wasser. Uh, Vatten. Uh, yeah. Vatten, so, sorry. <laughs> yes. No, it's, it's okay. Uh, like, it's not necessarily wrong. Uh, it's instead of uh, many waters, it's just the water. Um, ah. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to be, that's a project that I'm doing sort of with, uh, in collaboration with Johannes. He's writing some of the descriptions of what one might do and I am going out and putting things together. We've created these really great kits that people can use. I'm very excited because they use really practical items like some very nice cast iron shears um, as well as a, a little uh, little bag to collect greens in and a little um, dropper bottle uh so that you can create your own tincture later and have it on your shelf and it's all labeled and stuff uh and a funnel um so we're really excited because i always like sort of that like aesthetic elevated look when it comes to products i feel like especially when you're you're making most of the product it's really important for the people who come in and buy spell kits and ritual kits like that to feel excited about what is really kind of mundane items because most of the magic comes from the person doing it. Um, I think it's kind of silly when I see kits that are more about the, the items than the person. And so I like to focus more on how the items look than having, you know, these very crazy dark items, because I, I really believe the magic comes far more from the practitioner than anyone. Yeah, and I really appreciate that about your kits as well. I um, was able to review a, one of your new moon boxes last fall, um, and it was just really lovely because it comes, you know, with some ritual ideas and then some, you know, different items are in there, but it's mostly up to the person just to yeah. do it. I really like doing um, kits. We do a lot of like subscription kits. The new moon box is one of them. Um, that one's fun because it's a little more like traditional, like you just get a box full of fun stuff. I don't even have a ritual attached to it anymore. It's just like you get a box of things you've probably never had before. And I just sort of leave it up to the person to have fun with it. Then we have spell kits, which have ritual instructions included. And we're going to start doing a candle box which will have uh, handmade candles inside. Some of them will be ritual. Some of them will be very normal. Nice. So what exactly is the Midsummer Vatten? Um, so, yeah, it is, 
uses midsummer greens and we will be selling that like after midsummer we have like pre-orders right now and stuff but uh i'm gonna be doing a lot with the greens that i collect uh it will have midsummer greens which is nine different types of herbs collected on mid on midsummer the interesting thing is it doesn't matter so much what the herbs are it matters when they're picked so i'll be going out on midsummer eve um, to collect them ritually, uh, ask the plants uh, if I can take them, and then um, drying them and putting them into sort of like a tincture solution. And then that I will be adding hopefully Thor's water. I have some Thor's water left, but if I don't use that, I will even just like uh, running water is completely fine as long as it's like stream water to just balance it out. Um, and create a really nice spray uh, or a lot of people get the dropper um, that's fine too it's something you can use for a lot of different uses it's thought to be great for cleansing prosperity thriving magic it's like the very positive side of magic very you know solar associations or mm -hmm. you know very like positive vibrant yeah, and I probably will. I mean, I haven't done it in the last years, but it's normal to go out on Midsummer Eve morning and collect dew. You basically just take like a big sheet. You go out into, I'll probably go to the park. You go out into the park and you just sort of like gather up dew with um, the sheet. You get the sheet super wet and then you wring it out. Um, and I mean, usually so that these things are last longer, we just put like a little alcohol in it. Um, but you're not, it's also not something you're supposed to drink. You put a little in like a bath or something like that, like just a couple drops. And that's sort of like elf magic, um, used for like glamour magic, beauty, things like that. Some people will go out and just like roll in the grass when they wake up naked, um, and then air dry. And that's something you can do in midsummer eve morning. I actually read that as I was doing some research for our conversation, um, that that was, a, a practice that people do. Yeah, I mean, th I think people still do that. I'm sure that my um, great aunt Christina probably still does that. I don't know if my cousins do that so much, but they live in the city. Um, so, and it's kind of one of those things that's for like beauty and health. So it sort of depends on if that's an interest of yours. I actually, speaking of beauty, um, as I was researching, a lot of folk practices involved um, you know, picking uh, six or seven different herbs, I think it was to put in a, you know, in a bag and then put under your pillow um, to have a vision of your future um, spouse. Uh, that is, was one that I came across. Um, a lot of kind of fertility related things or love related things. Yeah. I mean, that is so, that's very normal in a lot of old texts as well, because I mean, that's what people were really the most interested back then when it came to divination is like, who am I going to marry? Who's going to die? Um, which was very practical. It made a lot of sense. Sometimes it was more specific to, um, you know, farm related divination or like thievery divination, like who stole this? Where is it? Um, how can I find it? Uh, but a lot of the divination spells that we found, or at least the ones that are translated to English now, um, are very specific to love. Uh, there's, of course, um, sort of the classic 
you pick your midsummer flowers on midsummer eve and you put them under your pillow and you're supposed to dream of your loved one. I think there's one where you put out, a, I'm probably not remembering it exactly correctly, but you put out like a glass of water, a glass of milk and a glass of beer. And then in your dream, you're supposed to see your future spouses for girls. So it's like your future husband and also which um, drink they drank would indicate what kind of spouse they would be. Oh, interesting. Do you remember at all what the different um, correspondences were with the different drinks? Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't, I remember milk had something to do with being like wealthy, but potentially unkind. And then, um, yeah, I think like if they drank all of the beer, they ended up being like an alcoholic or something. It was like very old farm Sweden. <laughs> so Yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> Definitely also very like heteronormative. <laughs> yes, yeah. A lot of the folk magic that I was finding was very heteronormative because of the nature of um, the idea of marriage. Um, yeah, and it was very much like a time and place thing. Like, there's nothing that indicates you can't use divination for whatever you want to use it on uh, Midsummer. It's important to remember that Midsummer. Uh, does have sort of this eerie quality, especially in Scandinavia when it's, you know, sunny well, well into like the dark, dark night from what we would normally see. So it has that like eerie quality to it. Yeah. So, okay. We can totally cut this if you don't want to talk about this. But But. speaking of eerie qualities, Mm -hmm. uh, have you seen the film Midsommar? Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that was funny. Um, I, there was a lot I like. I mean, I loved Midsummer. I think it's a really uh, funny film. <laughs> they probably sound weird saying it's like a really funny film. Uh, it's it's a laugh out loud comedy. Good for her. Um, no, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I think that of course it was like a horror thriller flick, and so it's going to have really poor representations of like what Midsummer is, uh, but it also had some accurate representations and certainly some throwbacks to uh, specific types of practices, um, like jumping off the cliff was definitely a thing. Like I, I actually talked to my great aunt Christina about that and she told me um, that her mom when she was getting older, used to reference that and say, they took us, they took that away from us. That was our right to be able to do that. And they took that away from us. And, you know, she was like, in where she lived in North Sherping, uh, apparently that was a practice that they still knew about, even though it wasn't something they did anymore. Yeah. I even noticed some of the smaller um spells that they were doing particularly the magic that the the red-headed uh yeah. woman was doing were very was very centered around love and like luring i think the hardest part for me about that film is it wasn't filmed in sweden and it was filmed somewhere in eastern europe i think and it just hmm. doesn't look like sweden to me um and that was a little like a little strange um I mean, I th- 
Yeah, I think that the spell, a lot of the spells they mentioned, yeah, like the menstrual blood spell, those I think really are very similar to Trolldom, like uh, traditional spell work. Yeah, it was really interesting to watch that film. Like, I actually did go to theaters to see it, and it was really interesting to watch it and kind of like looking at the different folk traditions and being like, okay, I'm going to research that later. Or like, oh, I'm going to look into that later. Um, and of course, it is a horror film, right? So like right. horror known universally for being a like happy-go-lucky thriller comedy hour. No, it's not. It's very like I'm being totally sarcastic. It's yeah, like lots of trigger warnings in that film. Um, yeah, <laughs> for real though. Uh, Seriously, lots of trigger warnings, and so of course it's you know not going to have the like greatest representation of Swedish folk traditions because it's showing the like it's using them for inspiration for like darkness or you know like for fear yeah what i do appreciate is everyone knows the word midsummer now like i've had people come into the shop and i'll like mention the word and they're they immediately are interested even if they're like like the film and i'm like not even a little bit um in sweden <laughs> you know i really had wanted to be there for midsummer this year i keep missing it and next year i will be we're going to be doing a tour there around midsummer actually um, which hasn't been put on the site yet, but it is something that is like sign upable for. But um, they do a lot of really awesome things on Midsummer Day. Like uh, the Maypole is beautiful. The Frog Song is hilarious. Um, basically, you just sing this like song about being a frog, and you all dance in a circle. Um, and actually, I think Peter's. Uh, um, yeah, Peter Sarsgaard, uh, I think, talks about it in, like, an interview, and he does, like, one of the best conversations about it I've seen, because he's, like, an adorable human also. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I also know that it's just, in general, a time of festivities, you know, just general celebration. It's not only, you know, magical, it's widespread, celebrated widely. Oh, sure. Totally. Yeah, it's definitely not only magical stuff. Like a lot of the folk traditions have definitely lasted, even if people don't really study or recognize Trolldom. Um, they just they're just the things you do the night before and the day of like making the, the crowns and stuff like that. Um, and then in terms of the like party, like everyone celebrates the party. It's like, it's a big festival with lots of food and drinking. And actually I remember I asked Johannes, I was like, is there a specific midsummer food? And he was like, no, it's aquavit. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, well, you said snaps because that's what you say. Uh, to be clear, and saying aquavit is more like a translation for Americans because in Sweden, they don't call it aquavit; they call it or schnapps. Uh, schnapps. It's not really spelled like the German schnapps. It's S N A P S. But they always look confused if you call it aquavit. So I was doing some research because you're coming very much from a Swedish perspective, and so I was looking into some, you know, Norwegian and Finnish practices um, as well. And one of the things that I came across was. Uh, huge bonfires yeah. um, as a part of it. And even in Norway, so I think this is also true of Sweden, but it dates, it builds from um, 
St. John's uh, Wake or Yonsok. Um, and so in Roman Catholic times, uh, there were a lot of pilgrimages to churches. And okay, I'm so sorry, I'm going to butcher this church name, but the uh, Royal Dahl Stav Church. Royal Dahl? I don't, I don't know that church. Yeah, it's the O with the line through it is the one I'm struggling to pronounce. Dahl? I don't know. I don't know Norwegian. I think that's probably similar to the O with the umlaut. Um, yeah. Um, but it was said that that church has a crucifix that is said to have healing powers. And so people would go to that church specifically to touch the crucifix on St. John's Wake. Um, nice. And then in Finland, um, there are a ton of different traditions. Uh, one of the biggest traditions is a bonfire either on like a seashore or a lake. Um, just the, the proximity to water was really important. Um, and they would also place branches from birch trees on either side of a door to signify like welcome for guests. Oh, birch is really important in um, uh, in the Swedish one. You always make you always include birch in your crown garland of uh, flowers. You do like nine kinds of flowers, but you always include birch. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> um, I, but I just know that that's like a rule you always include birch um, never never forget the birch yeah birch is just really important in general for a lot of Nordic folk traditions so I wouldn't be surprised if yeah you make just e all Easter brooms from birch as well um, I made those last year when I was in Sweden and yes I was in Sweden last year when the pandemic started I got stuck there I didn't fly to Sweden in the middle of a pandemic um, I flew to Sweden immediately before the pandemic started by a, like a week. <laughs> I remember because we were connected at that time. I just remember like your posts being like, oh no, <laughs> I yeah. guess I'm here now for a while. Yeah, that was weird. Um, it changed all my plans too. I, I mean, I, for the better, I ended up hanging out with, uh, my friends on their farm more and that was awesome um although I, I i missed seeing a lot of my cousins too which of course was too bad because i'll have to i'll have to see them next time i go so <laughs> um yeah. but yeah it was a weird beginning to the pandemic yes i remember there were conversations of like well if you have to stay all summer we'll like figure it out i'm like no i don't think that's gonna be a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just so unknown at the time though you know like yeah when it is anything going to be open up i think that um at one point didn't you say that like because you flew iceland air and at one point didn't they like cancel your trip from sweden to iceland but not your trip from iceland to america oh yeah that definitely happened um i forgot about that yeah they canceled it and then they ended up canceling all of it but that was so they had re rebooked my flight and then i was like okay it seems like they'll probably rebook it again but let's see and then the second time instead of rebooking it they just canceled my flight to iceland and then eventually they canceled the whole thing um and then they were like we're not flying at all 
and they were like we'll give you a voucher and I ended up taking Scandinavian air and that worked out just fine but um yeah it was or no no I had to book a different ticket no I I still have like a voucher um they just completely canceled my flight they're like we'll send you money they sent me money at the end of the summer also i was like what? really guys <laughs> no it was maybe even october it was like forever um i was very annoyed with them uh i hope they hear this and i hope they send me more money because i'm still mad at you iceland air um and uh but scandinavian airlines was great i found out that it's actually just as expensive, if not cheaper, to fly into Gothenburg, which I was like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, and there's more flights to Portland. I had to fly through Boston originally, and that was no go because I stopped doing public transportation from Boston. So I was like, well, can't do that. So I ended up making it out um, without too much trouble. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a whole a whole headache. Um, but, but you got to stay on a farm for longer. Yeah, and I got to uh, I got to be there for Easter for the Easter bonfire, and that was really cool. That's a really important holiday in Sweden. Um, and we made the Easter brooms. I think my broom is still there. I, I don't know. Maybe Johannes burned it. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it 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 was it was really amazing. We got to see a lot of historic sites because it wasn't like anyone was at those, so we just sort of like were able to, you know walk around in the outdoors it was nice that part was nice I got a little freaked out when I came back and I had to just be in my apartment which I realized like how privileged I was <laughs> yeah yeah um I guess you know considering you are a, a troll cunning now um spending actual time you know spending a length of time in Sweden probably really helped your personal practice as well I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it really changed my personal practice in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's really helped me define certain types of spirits and get to know them a lot better. Uh, and it's helped me. Well, yeah, it's helped me really get deeper with my practice. I don't know if I would be the same type of practitioner. I wasn't even really sure if I wanted to do spell work and stuff until I ended up in that situation and I started really just like practicing because I was on you know I was on a friend's farm and I was able to access a lot of magical equipment and it made it very easy to like integrate that into a part of my life. Yeah and I do think that when you're studying a specific folk tradition that comes from a place where you don't live um like actually going and experiencing it and experiencing, you know, the land spirits that the folk tradition was built around, like that is a hugely beneficial experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really like, it's really important to recognize like, does someone know what a troll is unless they've experienced being in a Swedish or Norwegian or Danish forest? Or does someone really understand what an elf is until they've walked through the forest? Um, I think those are important. And, you know, even the way that houses were built back in the day, things like that, there's definitely stuff that you miss until you're sort of in the thick of it. Um, 
I would also say that's actually why we created Swedish magic tours. It's, you know, partly for anyone to go back to Sweden and like get this uh, or go to Sweden for the first time and get this experience of going to grave sites and having the culture really explained from a magical perspective by Johannes and um, a little bit by myself, but I'm not the expert he is. Uh, or for practitioners actually grounding their practice into a physical place. Um, I do think it's important. There is sort of an initiation aspect to that for sure. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, I had signed up for your troll passages um, trip for October, but we're still unsure about COVID. So that won't. Yeah. We're, we're moving off. it to midsummer. We're going to, I don't know if we'll do anything in the spring. I feel like that's, we're just going to start at midsummer, start fresh, like, People can either sign up for midsummer then. We'll probably have an October one. And then I think we'll probably have an April one in uh, 2023. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. It could change, but I know we'll definitely have a midsummer one. I should have those dates by the end of the month up on the site. And then the October one, I know the general weekend if someone inquired, but I don't think we have like the firm dates yet. Yeah. And that makes sense because it's so far out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah. that gives people an op. That's the only the other thing I should say is if someone is interested in Midsummer, definitely email me because it is filling up really fast. We already have like a lot of people just waiting for us to put it up. Um, oh, cool. Because it does have a limit. Like it's not unlimited. I think I'd have to look at our numbers, but we definitely are going to have to like cap it at a certain point. And from that perspective, um, for sure talk to me <laughs> before yeah. yeah yeah before and if people end up emailing me i'll just send them straight yeah send, send them my way um yeah if someone is thinking oh yeah i'd really like to go midsummer 2022 and uh, i think we're like gonna get a local band or something local fiddle player or something i again it's all sort of stuff we've talked about haven't quite set in stone but uh it's gonna be investor go to land which is um pronouncing poorly but is the part where a lot of the eddas and sagas were and a lot of old kings and stuff are buried yeah very cool so for a curious or beginning kind of practitioner what are some of the things that you would recommend people do i mean of course they could always uh sign up to get the um midsummer vatan uh, kits yeah. on the Needfire website. And I know that you're also going to send like in ritual instructions with that. So it'll be a really accessible thing to do. Yeah. But anything else? Um, I, I think definitely if people aren't already signed up for our mailing list and following us on Instagram. I highly recommend they do on Instagram. We're the Needfire. Um, and our website is needfirewellness.com. Uh, because I have a feeling we will, I know definitely I will be doing a lot of live videos of me doing stuff on Midsummer, um, just to give people an idea of like what is going on. Uh, for people in the Portland area, I'll probably even have some sort of live demo at the shop if someone wanted to stop by. Don't really know the timing for that yet, but you know, if someone is in Portland, Maine, uh, feel free to give me a shout um and uh some easy stuff that folks can do is definitely the midsummer dew um getting up in the morning uh rolling in the wet grass uh if you have a private yard definitely naked is the way you're supposed to do it um but if you can't get that kind of privacy you know something is better than nothing 
Um, what you can also do is collect the dew and uh, with, like I said, with a sheet and um, like make a bath out of it. There are a few other practices. Um, definitely the flower crown is the one most people do. These are like the two most popular in Sweden that like people might still do. Um, the flower crown, uh, you would get nine different flowers on that day. You make a beautiful crown of it out of it using birch as well. And then um, you wear the crown, you know, during festivities and stuff, you put it under your pillow and it's supposed to give you um, sort of spa dreams or like dreams of the future, uh, the year to come and things like that. And you can ask to see certain things. Um, it's just like any manifestation intention setting. You really want to, um, you know, clarify if you're trying to see something in particular and then write down your dream afterwards. Yeah, and I think for anyone who is curious about herbal magic or is an herb crafter, just it sounds like any kind of harvest would be, you know, good that day. Like the, the plants will be blessed. Um, yeah, it, it's the plants are supposed to be more powerful in midsummer. That's sort of the point is that midsummer plants are very powerful. Um, so I definitely would say like, if you are an herbalist, if you are do herbal medicine, it's always great if you can do nine plants, but even if it's just a few plants, try, um, picking plants on midsummer and then uh you know compare them like is it the same as what you're used to are I, they are supposed to be stronger uh if you pick them on midsummer yeah so even if you had like a plant from a previous harvest that was not on midsummer you could even like hold both of them and kind of like compare the energies yeah yeah exactly exactly that's a great way to do it I'm trying to think of anything else. I, I knew that this conversation would just be very like flowing and it's, it's a bonus episode. So we're not being too strict. Yeah, for um, sure. I mean, any type of divination practice too. Like if someone has a divinatory practice, Midsummer is supposed to be a very good day for that. Um, some people even do Orskong, which is the year walk rather than doing it on um, Yule. They'll do it on Midsummer. Uh, and we've shared I mean, you can actually search Orskong pretty easily. There's a ton of articles on like how one might do it. Um, I wrote one for the Alchemist Kitchen a while back, but I'm not the only person who has. And many of them are in English. Um, it's basically like getting up early and uh, doing a divinatory walk. Um, I definitely recommend like not to hype it too much. We're actually out of stock on his book, but Johannes's book has like so many different divinatory practices that are even better on Midsummer. So like if you can get his book before um, the 25th and 26th, I definitely would. Uh, I think you can get it pretty easily online, the paperback one at least, not the hardback. Um, yeah, I think, um, and if you already have a copy, time to dust it off. Exactly, exactly. I know I'm going to be pouring through mine over the next couple weeks. Yeah, I've actually been meaning to kind of reread it now that I'm uh, studying with Johannes. I'm, uh, or taking his Nordic magic class. So, yeah. um, so I've been meaning to like go back and reread it because now I feel like I understand more of his like subtext 
yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah and it has a lot of the stuff i talked about is in it just probably to a to more degree than i've even um gone into uh there are definitely some practices where you like and i again i don't remember these ones i don't do these ones uh as much so i don't recall exactly the steps but like where you'll like literally sit in a ditch at midnight and look in a mirror and see the future so it's a very like divinatory heavy holiday it's a very love magic heavy holiday um and it's a very uh like cleansing healing magic holiday um glamour magic yeah yeah yeah, and it's like the growing time of year, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. One thing that I've been doing personally right now um, and in my work with Kari has been um, kind of reviewing the Nine Herbs charm. Mm, nice. Which is not to say that the Nine Herbs that are featured in the Nine Herbs charm are the ones that you have to collect on Midsommar. It's yeah. really any herbs. Um but, you know, kind of like learning their names, learning the the cadence of the charm itself has been something I've been thinking about. And so I have a mini herb garden on the balcony. I'll probably do some harvesting myself. Um, nice. On that yeah, day. Yeah, we will probably, uh, I mean, that's a great, that's a great charm. I think that um, if someone wants something to say and they don't feel confident in you know, their ability to sort of gnostically infer something, I guess. Um, and they don't have Johannes's book. I think that like the nine herbs charm is a, ni- a really nice charm for that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also, in- it's just really interesting from a lot of different perspectives. And that one also was written in um, old English. So mm-hmm. I know some people are always wondering, like, what is the Nordic connection with, um, you know, old English and Scotland? And um, it's that there were a lot of Nords. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there. Were, there yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of going back and forth. There was some Nordic people. Um, I, you know, I'm not as familiar with the conversation around old English and stuff like that. Um, I definitely am aware that there is a lot of crossover. I'm admittedly less of a historian and more of a practical practitioner. Um, although I am going to be picking up a medieval medicine book pretty soon. I have to remember to order it. I keep forgetting. Um, yeah, just sort of to, to refer to as I build my own practice, um, but uh, yeah, I I, th- I think you know obviously there were a lot of connections between those cultures, of course. Yeah, definitely. Um, I only mention that because I know that there are um, quite a few people of like Anglo heritage who listen to the podcast as well. So sure, I mean, I yeah. think it should be noted that uh, the Swedish magic is not closed in any way. There's no reason that someone should not be uh, permissed to practice things like Midsummer just because they don't have a S- Swedish lineage. Um, and that's really like, I know, I don't know any practitioner who thinks otherwise. Yeah, same, honestly. And I, I try to make that really clear um, in other spaces, just like around the web and 
on the podcast as well, just because it's not a closed practice. Yeah. And I mean, there are aspects of Trolldom that are really specific to the place and um, are are more challenging to recreate. But also, I'm not really the type of person who is as, like I said, I'm not really like a history nerd. I'm not as historically driven. Um, I find Trolldom to be exciting and interesting and engaging because it's a folk magic practice that uh, isn't appropriative, which is, you know, very great. Uh, and also comes from a state, like the people I know who teach Trolldom, um, Johannes, I teach about it sometimes, uh, really, are teaching skills that sh aren't specific to just trolldom. And I think that's like something I hope that a lot of people start to recognize is that folk magic isn't about all of these like hyper esoteric tools that you can find in only a certain place at a certain time. This was farmer's magic. This was magic of like the poorest people that lived in Sweden. And you should like, if you can afford things, that's awesome. And it really helps a business like mine. Um, and especially during Pride Month, queer owned business, woo. But um, at the same time, nothing should stop someone from practicing folk magic because of a lack of specific resources. You can do folk magic with pretty much anything. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I also think, uh, so when Johannes was on the podcast, we talked a little bit about how um, some of the uh, spells or the practices that he talks about in Trolldome might be, you know, uh, to sit in a ditch for three nights, right? <laughs> and um, Or to like go out and, uh, you know, you need to catch a fish of a certain length and then um, do something with it. And he was talking about that really as just like showing dedication to what you're attempting to do um and you know you can adapt it as needed um but there are also you know like these are a lot of spells that are are a lot of practices that are very practical um yeah they're supposed to be practical i mean troll cunning we're often like uh troll kvina and stuff like that uh we're often we're often women uh just because women were able to sort of do these healing practices more um, in a way that they weren't called out as much and put in like specific, specific danger um, in that culture. Uh, and of course there were also uh, men who were troll cunning. Um, and then uh, there, they were replacing doctors and stuff. I mean, back, 100 200 years ago um or and further back than that like it was really hard to get a real doctor to a small farm like i know i have family that was from uh Frudred, uh in sweden and i'm probably also saying that poorly because i haven't been in sweden in a while so i don't practice swedish very much um and i you know i have family from kvällevad and both of those places are pretty remote uh, neither are like super close to somewhere where they necessarily would have a doctor like Stockholm or Norshipping or like uh, Gothenburg or one of the big bigger cities or even bigger towns. Um, 
and the troll cutting were the ones who you went to first like you couldn't spend days getting to the doctor and days getting back unless it was you know really dire and troll cutting knew all of the healing remedies they knew all of the things that are had to do with spirit work and I, I certainly believe in spirits and I think that that can sometimes really impact things I had a rash recently that doctors in modern day, it took me 15 minutes to get to the doctor and they had no idea what that rash was. And then I used an old troll formula on it and it went away in three days. So, you know, that like, it, I believe in medicine, but sometimes medicine can't explain things and troll magic does. Right. And I think especially when you're immersed in it too, it's, um, it, they're very powerful practices like the simplicity or the practical nature of them does not um mean that they are less powerful or that they are i mean know, not effective I'm, I'm of the i'm a skeptical person i'm of the opinion like if something works and you see that it worked and you have no reason to believe that like it should work that's a reason to believe in troll dome like if you I invite, like, if I have spell clients who are skeptical and stuff, obviously being, like, stubbornly skeptical is one thing you can really block intention. But, like, having a healthy skepticism is something I really support, I think is, like, genuinely a healthy practice. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm more surprised when someone isn't skeptical. Yeah, I think discernment and skepticism definitely have their place in terms of magic yeah Um, especially as you're learning it yeah oh for sure I think that um I think students in particular like I think a lot of people get really wrapped up in like this is how this feels this is how it looks this is like my intuitive experience but I mean that's fine if you have a personal practice but if you're going to be a professional practitioner you need to see results. Like that's really the only thing that matters. It really doesn't matter what you feel or see if you're not able to see a result from it. Right. Totally. And I do think that there is definitely something to be said for ritual for the sake of ritual. You know, if you're going to do a ritual that is like, a, um, you know, I'm, I'm, struggling to come up with an example but if you're going to do you know say like a self-initiation ritual or a ritual to um like ease tension for yourself or something um sometimes the act of doing those things can help you like just get through it and i also think too that you know for religious holidays or something like that i would also think that you know like having a ritual you know to ground you um, is really helpful, but that's also different than spell work in my mind. I can't really think of a single ritual that you wouldn't track results for if you're a professional practitioner. Like even holiday rituals are moving the wheel. Like if we think about Yule or Midsummer, like you're trying to push forward into a prosperous year. Um, and that has its own results that are trackable um and and they they're certainly up up to like open to bias and open to like matter of opinion and I think that's important to acknowledge um I'm like I said I'm a practical magician 
I am, I definitely have my own personal spiritual practice that I almost never talk about. Um, but I definitely would say I've never done a spell in the last two years that were probably like three or four years now that was, didn't have an intention with trackable results. Um, and even if it wasn't for me or it wasn't results that were important, like it could be connecting to something spiritual. It could be grounding in something, but I could still track the fact that I grounded or if we're saying like relieving tension, I can still track whether that's relieved. Um, that's true. You're right. Yeah. So I, I personally don't hold a lot of credence for, and I, I'm, you know, I've gotten to the point where I'm like kind of a cranky troll cunning now, I guess, because I, <laughs> I just, I just don't hold a lot of space for things that don't have a like grounding in forward momentum. And, you know, there's a few things I do that I wouldn't say are rituals they are more just sort of like inquiries, which I might not have results around. Um, but I'm not doing anything very ritual about them. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, now I'm thinking about the idea of a magical inquiry and, you know, what that um, might look like if you weren't trying to track results. But I also know that you are intensely private about your personal practice. So I'm not going to ask what that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to be sort of general, it has to do with talking to particular spirits and that's not something I always will actively or even care to track results for. It's more just like things that I find interesting. And um, if I wanted something from that relationship, then I would certainly track results and track sort of the forward momentum of things. But if I'm just like start, I mean, I guess, you know, you could get really like, myopic with it and be like well if you are seeing the results of having a relationship I would say when I've tried to establish relationships with spirits there are results that I've had confirmed by other practitioners but I don't always count that as like true true results I like results to like be notable for people outside of the that group Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I would say, you know, personally, I've been doing some spirit inquiry as well. Um, and the result that I track with that is definitely just like the relationship, you know, like, there are certain things that I can, um, you know, if I feel more comfortable approaching the spirit again in the future, you know, that's yeah. a, an example. Or, you know, if I if I feel like the relationship is improving or moving forward that um... yeah I would say I have like internal results from things like that but like I again I just don't give a lot like I I value internal results but I don't give them a lot of like heavy you know credence when it comes to like conversations I have with other people um because they're personal gnosis it's like did that really happen? Is it my mind creating a story that best describes an experience that I actually can't consciously describe? Um, like something happened, but it's very, I do think that a lot of times we use stories in a way that is very positive um, to describe experiences that literally we would never have words for in a conscious way. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I think sometimes when people hear like the phrase, oh, that's a story, they get immediately defensive because there's a lot of like dismissal and shame attached to that idea. When in reality, pretty much all spells, all of the writing we have about most, most, I think actually probably all religious traditions are technically stories and they're embellished differently by different people. Um, and that doesn't make them any less important or meaningful or useful. Uh, but it, it is what they are, you know, unless you're in that experience, again, like your brain is going to always translate things to you in a way that you can digest. Yeah. And I think too, that like, there's, there's like this weird meta thing that happens, right? Where you know that it's a story and then you're able to kind of like make further meaning in knowing that it's a story. Um, and I, I lately have been working on kind of like loosening some of my stories around, you know, personal like belief that I'm not, you know, good enough, for example, like that is a story that I would like to release, but there are also very positive stories of like, you know, magic exists or um, like there are positive stories that I'm trying to bring in in their stead, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Um, I've really spent the last year, maybe year and a quarter um, trying to just get rid of stories from my personal narrative and then slowly work them back in. Um, because I think we are sort of ruled by them sometimes. I see that a lot with uh, people when it comes to certain ways they approach spirituality and religion, this idea that the story actually, like, it starts to be, like, very harmful. It keeps them from progressing. And I think that stories, especially for practitioners, are incredibly useful tools. You're able to shape a reality with them. Um, and that's sort of a gift that we have as humans. Um, I have a lot of theories about, like, why spirits even want to be in contact with us, especially nature spirits. And I think it has a lot to do with stories and that ability to shape a reality, um, give them life, give them a body. But uh, actually I'd heard this quote once that um, gods have always existed, but they didn't come into existence until we thought of them. Uh, and then when we thought of them, they had always existed. Uh, and I really like that idea. And that's, I don't remember, it's something my partner said once, and I'm sure it's from something important or like, like, but I don't, I don't read that much. So I don't know. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that that is like, really like a core belief for me at this point. It's like, I have lots of stories that explain lots of things, but I'm trying and have been trying to um, drop those stories too until it's time to use them uh, because they can be just as much destructive uh, if we lose control over them. And trust me, I'm someone who loves stories, loves storytelling. Um, I could tell an amazing story right now that was 100% true and also 100% like intuited and someone could hear it. And that suddenly becomes such a like, intense truth for them that it is going to define their experience in the world and that's you know I think that's what I think that's the power that 
um that's really the power that troll cunning the power that professional and like seasoned witches have the power that folk magicians have and even you know ceremonial chaos magicians is they've reached the point where they're able to craft these stories in such a conscious way that they can shape how reality moves around them to a degree and i feel like that's a big responsibility Yes, it is a huge responsibility. Like, and and it's and it's not even that big. Like, it's not even that big most of the time. Most of the time, it's very small. Like, it's small things. Like, few, few people hit like the point in their careers where people are always listening to them and always like writing down what they say and then applying it. Like, right? Or you know, like I mean, few people get necessarily to the stage in their career where they're like altering the web of weird and are really you know like. Right huge fundamental way that other people are feeling that ripple right right and I think that I mean I would even challenge you with the web of weird is a story that you believe in so deeply that you are going to be impacted if someone has Mm. influence like you 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 have agreed to be a part of that story Um, And it is going to affect you. Like there are ways that like it is, it is a reflection of a real experience and that real experience, it's like Mercury retrograde. I always go on these rants about Mercury. And I think this is a better example um, about Mercury retrograde because we're still in retrograde right now, right? Yeah. Um, What Mercury retrograde is and what we treat it as are very different things. Whereas there is the like the like lowercase Mercury retrograde and the uppercase Mercury retrograde. The uppercase Mercury retrograde is our cultural reaction to the idea of Mercury retrograde, to the fact that um, we believe it's messing things up. And people see real results from this. People see their mail getting lost, their text messages getting failed. They find themselves not able to communicate, getting like stuck in different situations. But that is all a part of a big story that we've co-opted into because from an astrologer's point of view, that is not how Mercury retrograde works. Right. It's from what I understand and talking to my astrologer friends, it's more about like reviewing all of the areas of our life that Mercury impacts. Right. And so it's kind of a slowing down. It's vastly different for every single person because our Mercurys are all in very different places and Mercury is in a very different place every time it retrogrades. Exactly. So yeah. it, there is, it's impossible to make a definitive statement uh, outside of like, this is going to be a particularly strong one for most people. You could make like that type of statement uh, depending on how it sits in the sky at that time. But um, typically it's, nearly impossible to make a definitive statement about mercury retrograde to the extent that we treat mercury retrograde as a culture. I fully agree with that because I think too that there are a lot of mercury retrogrades where I've just like I've known that it's mercury retrograde maybe it didn't have a huge impact on my chart but I wasn't buying into the story that it was going to be particularly bad so it wasn't particularly bad that time or it wasn't you know bad because of you know, where it was hitting my chart. I think that um, it's it's interesting that we're mentioning Mercury retrograde because I did some, some minor Mercury soothing practices <laughs> this morning. Um, I haven't but- done a single thing for Mercury, Mercury retrograde in my, in my personal practice in four years. And I have 
maybe seen one or two instances where I'm like, oh, that text message didn't send or whatever. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 It's because I was, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is stupid. Like, I'm not a part of this. This is not my story. I never signed up for this. And it's not, it's not actually what the planet's doing. Um, It's like, it's like people, it, it just, you know, I had sort of a science background when I was younger. I, I studied chemistry for a while. Um, we grew crystals in the lab. And so there is a part of me that when things defy the system that makes sense and the results that are supposed to come from that system um, and start to make up their own spell that everyone co-ops into, I get annoyed. <laughs> Um, And I'm going to, you know what, I'm probably going to get some hate for this, but even our whole like pop astrology thing, like saying like, I'm a Pisces, I'm a Virgo, I'm a Cancer, stuff like that is all kind of bullshit. Like it's like kind of, yeah, you're, you're affected by your chart, but that is a snapshot that was taken the moment you were born. Like every that that I had actually um I think you interviewed Eric Perdue he did my see I like astrology he did my chart this last year so it's not like I don't care for it but he said this to me he was like you know the funny thing about um your chart is that you really only experience it like once like or maybe a couple times but like it is the least experienced thing that you're going to go through because it is a snapshot from the day you were born and of course that has impacts because you know on you but like the degree that people self-define with astrology i've done it before like a lot but it's this last year i was just like you know what i'm gonna play with this a bit um because i was i'm a pisces sun and i was always like okay well you know, I've I really like lived that role for a while. Let's just sort of lean into this rising sign. So I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Leo rising. Cause that's just like in different astrological systems, your rising sign is just as important as your sun sign. So I was like, I'm a Leo now. Like, I don't know if anyone saw a difference. I didn't really see a difference, but it was fun to just be like, I'm done being a Pisces. Like, that is not my experience anymore. You know, that's really funny because that you say that and that you weren't sure, like if people were catching that, because I definitely think of you as a Leo. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I, that was just this last year that I was like, I'm just going to do that. Like I would rather be a Leo, not because I love Pisces, like that. I love that sign. I love what it stands for. Um, but it just never felt right. And so I was like, I'm a Leo now. And of course it was in my chart for those who are listening to this and like dying right now and crying in their rooms because I've changed my sign. It is in my chart. It is my rising sign. Certain systems would use it as the primary sign. Um, That being said, of course I've used that like casually, like, oh, my partner's an Aries or, oh, this person's a Virgo or et cetera. And I do think there is some truth to it, but I think it's sort of uh, can be negligible at times. And I really liked, I don't know exactly what style Eric did. It was like a medieval style. I really liked that in terms of how he did his um, year projection. I thought that was really yeah. awesome uh, because yes. it was more like like what 
you're going to be moving through. Yes. So I, my biggest takeaway with astrology, usually um, the deeper I go into my chart and the deeper I actually study astrology, the more I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful language for understanding, you know, the basically the astro weather, like what is happening, but also like the less I end up reading horoscopes or yeah. the less I end up engaging in pop astrology because it is such a complex art and complex knowledge system. I mean, I've thought about, you know, like I would love to uh, go through astrology training with somebody uh, because I love especially electional astrology, which looks yeah. at you know, around particular events. So I actually do a lot of my business planning around electional astrology. Um, that's more fun to me than breeding birth charts. I, I like that type of stuff. I know um, one of my colleagues is, I've never talked to him about it, but I know he's like into like really high end electoral, electional astrology and like has studied that before. And I find that fascinating because you see results from it. That's the thing. You see results from that. And that's why I like it. Cause I'm like, I'm like, oh, so if you follow this pattern based on what you're seeing, you're going to make how many millions of dollars? Like that's that's a result i'm sorry but at the, at the end of the day like there there are certain things that are very obvious results yeah honestly like things around launching you know the witchcraft immersion or um what days that i do more advertising or you know what days are good days to have interviews for the podcast even you know it's like looking at the astro weather for that day and saying oh okay cool you know, this would be a great time to do this. Or, hey, maybe I should be paying extra close attention to my uh, dotting of I's and crossing of T's um, so that I don't have an adverse impact from it. And that has produced results, I think, in my own, you know, life, even though I'm, I'm by no means an expert, of course, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I just, I know a few things and I have many personal friends who are like professional astrologers. So I feel like I've learned a lot just like from speaking with them, but yeah, I don't know. I find it really fascinating. And also, you know, as soon as I started diving deeper into my chart, I was like, oh yeah, like this is why me being a cancer son has never felt like it quite fit. Or like, yeah. this is why, you know, certain aspects of pop astrology have never really suited me. Sure. So anyway, all of that to say, yes, astrology is also a story that we can choose to pay attention to or choose not to. And I think it's more about what we do with the information that we get from astrology than about like, oh no, Mercury is retrograde. Like everything is going to be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, I've made lots of great Mercury retrograde products for anyone who wants to buy them. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> yeah, actually. I mean, I have, like but, um, but I also like they are hopefully going to break people out of that system in the same way I've broken myself out of that system and just being like this I'm done with this this is over I'm no not interested in being a part of this anymore yeah I actually it's really funny that you say that I know that this isn't one that you personally made but um part of my mercury and my mercury ritual this morning included the a statula um candle company uh the mercury mm. candle that I, I like that candle. from your store. It's really good. I just like mercury in general. 
Like I like working with that spirit, that energy. It's really nice. I, you know what? I had a friend recently um, try be like, don't use energy in your language as much and see what happens. I don't know. I can't like, I use energy like t- twice a sentence if I'm, and it just means, <laughs> it just means like intuitive feeling and stuff. But I'm just thinking about that now. I'm like, and it's the same with like scheduling or not even scheduling, but like predicting and like using that in my business. Like I should do these things. These seem like really smart things to do, but I won't. I know I won't. <laughs> so come for, come for Midsommar, stay for the uh, long form conversation about astrology stories and business owning. <laughs> Great. Well, I think our listeners know where to find you. Um, yeah sorry if I, I hope I didn't plug too much I was like just this is we're just doing so much I don't even know yeah no I think it's great plug your work and for anybody out there who is self-employed or owns their own business or whatever like please plug your work more because you know you're worth it yeah um so yes, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Yay. I am so excited and I hope that the listeners um, enjoy this long rambly bonus episode. Um, Hopefully not too long. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see in the editing process. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for atten- for coming and for talking to me. And I'm sure that we will have your voice in future episodes. Thanks for having me. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northernlightswitch. I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird.